Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we've got a really important topic uh, to learn about. I'm really honoured to have Dr. Lizzo Reardon and Barbara Wilson to join me today. And we're going to talk about working with cancer. So thank you both of you for joining today. And I'm going to just hand to you to introduce yourselves because you've both got very powerful backgrounds um, before we go into the, the meat of the episode. Liz, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I was a breast cancer surgeon who got breast cancer twice. And I was off for a year with chemotherapy, mastectomy, radiotherapy. And when I went to go back to work, my line manager told me that I was only allowed a month to return to full-time work because that was the policy. And I thought, I get that, but I've had my own cancer. I've been off for a year. I can't get back to full-time work in a month if I ever get back. And that led me to a lot of soul searching and desperation on the internet and that's when I discovered that in the UK I was legally disabled and I had rights and I found Barbara through working with cancer who gave me the power to say this is what I am entitled to and she coached me to help me cope with going back to work and dealing with questions I might get as a cancer patient and I wouldn't have gone back to work without her and that's why I'm now an ambassador for workingwithcancer.co.uk and so we'll come back and find out more about what that is but just so Liz did you work for the NHS? Yeah, I was a consultant breast surgeon in the NHS and I got so, breast cancer at the age of 40. So the poli- so their policies didn't recognise that you were legally... Like- I think most medical directors, HR line managers aren't aware that you are legally disabled and have rights. And the standard policy after sick leave is a month of phased working to return to full-time work. Right, gosh. And uh, Barbara, would you like to introduce your, your background? Yeah, um, I uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2005 while I was working as an HR director in the city and found it incredibly difficult getting back to work. I think most people had decided I wasn't going to come back and I had a really tough time. So that led me in 2006 to set up a kind of campaign group, which I actually called Working With Cancer. And to cut a very long story short, I set up Uh, working with cancer as a company it's a social enterprise not-for-profit and uh, staffed by people who've had cancer or uh, had a profound experience of cancer as carers and we work throughout the UK and Europe supporting anyone affected by cancer at any stage any diagnosis to manage work return to work or find work so that's what we do. And and it's actually very inspirational that you're both joining you today looking so healthy and, and well. So it's, it's a real 
um, positive to see that people can come back and be contributing. And I guess that's one of the things you want to inspire people to do and organisations to do uh, to to recognise in terms of having skills back in the workplace not that aren't lost. So- and I think off that, I would say um, we could all have metastatic cancer. We could all have incurable cancer, but you cannot tell. And that's what ending the stigma is. You can't spot a cancer patient. We don't look like you see the images in cinemas, you know, with hospices and things. So it's it's kind of forgetting that anybody could have cancer. At, en- at any point in time. So they could, they could be living the cancer is what you're saying. There's no reason why they couldn't be contributing. So Exactly. So, so Barbara, you set up the um, Working with Cancer organisation, and this is a Working with Cancer campaign that you've been yes. highlighting recently and also some surveys. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about the campaign and, and why it's so relevant for um, you know anyone listening in HR or businesses overall? Okay, well, um, I'll try and keep this relatively brief. Um, as you may know, one in two of us will be diagnosed with cancer in our lifetime, which is you know a big number half the population. Uh, Most people don't realise that. But also more and more of us are surviving cancer and want to return to work because it's part of our life, which is important to us. Um, Now, this is an issue that's becoming increasingly important. A thousand people are diagnosed with cancer every day. There's something like two and a half to three million people living with cancer here in the UK alone. Uh, about a million of people of of working age. So they're big numbers. The the cost to the UK economy of not having people at work was something like, this was a few years ago, £7 billion a year. Okay, so they're big numbers. Now, this is a, Liz and I and others have been involved with trying to get employers to understand the issues and challenges of having people working with cancer, the need to get people back to work for some time. But then in April uh, last year, Arthur Sadoon, who's the chief executive of the Publicist Group, uh, head office in France, but big global company, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. And when he went public on his uh, illness, which frankly, not many chief executives do, let's be clear, uh, for a whole variety of reasons, um, he was overwhelmed with a kind of mailbag of people basically saying, you know, we, t- we, you know, we don't like talking about our cancer because of the fear of what's going to happen to us and our career will be severely damaged. And that kind of led him on a mission, basically, along with the, with the group as a whole, to try and get, get organisations globally to both understand the challenges of managing work and cancer, but to provide transparent reports to people who, who have cancer and also to working carers. Uh, So what he did is he launched at Davos on the 17th of January, this campaign to get uh, international companies. uh, The campaign focuses in the US, France and the UK, but to basically sign a pledge committing to improve as the working conditions of people who have a diagnosis of cancer or are cancer carers. And... Uh, so far, hundreds of, of large organizations have signed up, people like Adobe, Google, L'Oreal, uh, Meta, Lloyds. I think it's, you know lots and lots of big companies, and they're each now either putting together a program to support people with cancer or they have one in place, which they'll make more transparent to their employees. As far as the publicist group is concerned, they've come up with four kind of principles for their employees. One is that they're going to secure the job salary, 
um, level, the benefits, uh, the pay generally, the careers of people within publicists who have a diagnosis of cancer for at least a year. Okay, so they can basically not worry about their job and focus on getting better. Um, they're going to support people once they return to work with kind of personalized career support. Um, they're going to give uh, publicist group employees access to peer level support uh, within the organization. And then anyone who's in a primary caregiver role at publicist, they will get, again, customized professional and personal support so they can as it will have the flexibility to kind of cope with their job but also to support a loved one so this is a massive campaign a really important campaign um, and we're delighted I have to say Liz and I and my colleagues at working with cancer to be an integral part of the campaign here in the UK and that's really helpful because what you've identified there is, I guess, um, a practical step. And so we can come back to that a little bit more later that, that others can learn from. It's, it's all very well pledging to something, but actually, what do we really do about it? And, and Barbara, just because you've got the HR background, um, I'm intrigued, really. What do any companies at the moment have anything? I'm assuming is this a new policy or from an HR point of view, how is the pledge turned into something real? And, and what is the normal status quo, would you say, in in the UK in terms of how we approach this sort of thing? The normal status quo is very patchy. You know, some organisations can have great policies, some have no policies. Some organisations have great policies, but in practice, the policies aren't actually implemented locally by the local manager. As Liz hinted at earlier, very few managers or employees understand that they're protected at work by the Equality Act. Very few managers understand their responsibilities. Some HR teams don't understand their responsibilities. Mm. Very few of them talk about return to work. So, you know, the pledge is about really about trying to get organizations to understand the issues around working cancer and to have a coherent set of policies about this. Very few organizations, and I've worked for a long time in, in the city and in here in the UK, very few organizations even know, partly because of data protection, how many of their employees have cancer. As an employer, you're not required to tell your employer. Many, as the survey that publicists did, and we've done surveys too, many people don't like talking about their cancer. They're worried about their job prospects or what will happen to them financially. So most, most companies don't know how many people have cancer. They won't have a specific cancer policy. They'll have they'll, they'll provide private health. They'll have an employee assistance program, which typically are very underutilized. Uh, they will have return to work policies, but they're often not transparent to the people within the company. So most people, when they talk about their cancer, from their perspective, they won't really know what support the organization will provide and and, and, and i guess uh, again are you are you advocating in terms of this i said some of this is the pla the pledge is sort of saying it's okay to tell us about this so that people feel protected to share so, that information absolutely i i think it's really important that organizations state openly as publicists have that they support they they support and will protect the careers of people with cancer in the workplace because you know that's the right thing to do both morally as well as economically you know so I and as a patient often work is the only time where you feel 
you don't have cancer. You are an individual, you have a purpose. Work is often your escape. But when you're told, oh no, you can't have that, it can be crippling. Yeah, in terms of your mental sort of sense of purpose mm. and not having to think about being the ill person. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's other areas where you think about returning, even returning mothers and things like that, that whole sort of being able to, it's your identity, is it might well be your work person if that's your profession. Absolutely. Um, and it's really important. And I think, you know, it's a really critical issue is, I mean, I remember when I when I was returning to work, yes, it's a part of your identity. You don't want to be the person with cancer. The doctors never ask you about your life outside of being a cancer patient. And when you go back to work, typically people don't know what to say. They yeah. don't know what to do and when. And, and classically, some managers will say, well, I didn't want to upset them, so I won't say anything. Yeah. And, and it's the elephant in the room, isn't it, really? That's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's very important with cancer. It's more frequent. I, I've got an example how of my one of my close friends, her husband had a massive stroke like, you know, at 50. And, was, mm-hmm. and th- that was a huge impact. Now, she's a huge she's the carer for that. And she had to take a lot of extensive amount of time off to do that. So they're very life changing events with a, a major illness like that sort of thing. And being you know, she was lucky because she was a partner in a business and was able to get support. But that was ad hoc as opposed to being something which um, you would know that you could go and ask and, and request for. So um, I guess I'd like to know a bit, we'll come into some of the data and the survey, Barbara, but actually I'd just like to go to Liz for a bit to understand a little bit about that whole experience of being, and the, obviously the huge weird thing that you had, this thing where you've been the person dealing with people as the doctor having it, and then being the patient. And could you explain a bit about what's going on in people's heads in terms of at this time and in, in terms of both the worker and I suppose the patient so we can understand it better? Yeah, I think, when you're told you have cancer, every common thought, every common sense thought just leaves your head and you are busy processing with the, I've got cancer and the potential logistics, am I going to die? What's going to happen? Meanwhile, the doctor is giving you all this information and you're just going, I've got cancer. And then you have to go home and tell your family what the doctor said and you can't remember and suddenly you're having to be the doctor. And your life, you, you kind of go on a roller coaster, just going through treatment and hopefully you've got a family and friends to help you. Um, and for a lot of people, say with breast cancer, they can have an operation as a day case. They have radiotherapy that they can work through. They don't lose the hair. No one knows they have any have had anything done. They may only have two weeks of work, just you know, a gynae op, you could say. But you've still got all that huge mental toll and anguish. And you may feel you've not had a proper cancer because no one can see. Yeah. Whereas if you had chemotherapy, you're off for a year. If no one knows at work what's going on, when you go back. Why have you been off? What's wrong with you? What's been going on? What do we say? And I was treated in a different hospital. But when I went back, although I'd been blogging and talking about my cancer, most of my colleagues had no idea what had happened. And I was prepared for kind of dealing with patients, but I wasn't prepared for my colleagues' reactions. And when you are talking about cancer patients and you know a doctor's had cancer, it can be very hard to talk openly about a patient. Mm. One of the first patients that we discussed had had my cancer and I had everyone in the room go, oh my God, that's awful. They couldn't know they were talking about me, but inside I'm going, oh, I can't cope with this. So how do you support a team of people who are interacting with someone with cancer? Because it's not just the cancer patient that needs help. And Barbara was saying things like, what do you want them to know? Do you want to send a round robin saying, I've been off with this. I do not want to talk about it at work, I'm here. Or do you come up with a lie 
Are you worried your line manager is going to gossip and everyone's talking about you? People think you can't do your job properly, especially when chemotherapy affects how you think. The menopause can affect how you think. I can't multitask. I'm slower. I don't want people to think I can't do my job. There is so much that goes on, along with dealing with the physical and mental side effects of cancer treatment. Yeah, the actual fear of your of your mortality. The and fear of it coming okay. back, the yeah. chronic pain, the loss of body image, problems you may have for money. If you can't work through chemo, then you don't have that income coming in. And how much of that do you show at work? Or do you have to put on a brave face and say, no, I'm fine. And then where do you go when you're having a wobble? It can be really, really hard. It's, it's really tricky. And thinking also from a line manager point of view, I think, I think of friend, from a friend's point of view, where I've, I've um, everybody deals with, grief for example differently in my in my experience and so mm. and so this would be a similar sort of thing you're having there is a sort of sense of grief I imagine in terms of um of the experience but some people might want to talk about it and some people might not want to talk about it so it's interesting to work out what the right tools or what's the right approach um for organizations or line managers to I mean I guess the answer is to talk to the individual right but um, it's, it's the most difficult thing, you know, that talking about cancer is the most difficult thing. And what what's often the problem is that people don't talk about it at an early stage and then it becomes even more difficult. Because yeah. We discussed it before. And so, you know, one of the significant pieces of advice we give we give employers is as soon as you're aware someone's had can got a cancer diagnosis or they're a carer, sit them down in a private room, ask them how they are, listen, and then at an appropriate point in the conversation, you know, show empathy and say, okay, what can we do to support you? Who do you want to tell like, you know, who do you want to tell about this? It would be helpful to tell some people, maybe just HR, but you know, have those early conversations and then it becomes so much easier. Yeah. When you don't talk about these things, it often it's, the yeah. gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think whoever you're talking to, to let the patient know, or person living with cancer, because we're people, that that conversation is confidential. Confidential, yeah. And they'll say, but I have to tell these people to make sure that if you need reasonable adjustments, you need time off to go to appointments, you need early toilet breaks if you have a stoma that needs changing, questions aren't going to be asked by those higher up. This doesn't go any further, but how can we help if you do want to talk to other people? Because people are scared of it becoming gossip. Yeah. yeah, And a lot of people do not want anyone to know apart from their line manager because they want to move on. They want to forget about it. Yeah. I, I had just a, a quick anecdote. I, I was coaching somebody who was quite senior in an organisation who had a cancer diagnosis and wanted to keep it absolutely private. And so she just told her manager and that was fine and nobody else knew. And about a year after her diagnosis, there was a huge global conference in the States that the whole company went to, about mm. 2,000 employees. And the chief executive stands up and he says, it's lovely to see you all here today and have you all here together. And I'd particularly like to thank X, who has just recovered from cancer treatment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, ouch. Uh, it's really important to main to understand and maintain confidentiality. It's an interesting. I, I mean, absolutely, you've got to respect people's confidentiality, but it's also an interesting one where I'm just thinking, if I'm a line manager or HR, where I, I should start saying, what can I have permission to say? Um, that it's almost what is the line because people will notice if someone's off. Um, people and 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 
then they might uh they either they gossip or they um think that the the person isn't yep. effective they they judge them for yep. not pulling their yep. weight so uh, i think and we're all nosy and curious yeah that you have to say it's not my duty to say yeah. yeah, and you agree with the person what you can say. Yeah, yes, and you get that in writing. What, they want the story. what, what, yeah, when you're off, which we know is fine, but what would you like us to exactly? And actually, get them to think about it early when you come back. If you don't want people to know, we need to come up with a white lie, a sentence that can easily say to explain yeah. your absence. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not difficult actually. No, but you need to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something here, though, when we're talking about um, that conversation, and I guess this loops in, is it's it needs to be the line manager and HR probably working in conjunction, because yep. HR need to support the line manager in terms of what's the right right thing, and, and there's a sort of a, a two-prong piece there. Um, again, I suppose from an HR point of view, Barbara, is there anything that you say that HR could do? Is it maybe coach the line managers or any other thoughts? Because you're obviously coaching people anyway um what's what thoughts have you got there yeah I think definitely support the line manager um and I think there are four key points where HR and the line manager need to have what I call a kind of relatively uh, you know a caring but a structured conversation with the individual one is at the point of diagnosis secondly when they're about to start active treatment then when sort of a few weeks before that person comes back to work and then once they're back at work to have regular conversations. And I think obviously important to keep in touch while someone's off having treatment. But HR can play a really important role in guiding and working with the line manager, but not necessarily, now this sounds, not necessarily being playing it by the book. You know, I think the issue with cancer is that recovery from cancer is not linear, Lucinda. So what happens is, is you have good patches and bad patches. You know, typically after about eight to 12 weeks, people hit a plateau of fatigue and other side mm. of treatment. Often side effects don't begin after treatment's finished and often result from the medication you're on. And then the dips for the yearly scans and the yearly follow-ups. And you may have two people with prostate cancer, one who is a wreck and one who sails through. So you can't compare, oh, but John was fine. Mm. I'm not John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, classically, a line manager will say, well, I know about breast cancer. My mum had breast cancer. Or my well, everyone is different. So mm -hmm. it's important that the HR person gets across to the manager. Those things don't make comparisons. Recovery is not linear. People will need a long time. Typically, most people take at least a year to recover mm. properly after from, chemotherapy after and that of course doesn't you know allow for things like potentially recurrence or further surgery reconstruction or other stuff after say breast cancer that's often needed so hr can be really good in providing that guidance and information for managers so they understand what they're dealing with because most managers are really busy they just want that person back at work okay yeah and typically they'll say, look, when are they going to be back again? What, why are they still off sick after eight weeks or whatever it is? So sometimes it's just filling those information gaps can be unbelievably helpful. And if and helping do that, no one will. Sorry. Helping carry on that person's work whilst they're off. Yeah. I was very lucky in the end that my locum, the locum doctor doing my work, was allowed to stay on for three months whilst I found my feet again. So you're not suddenly right in back up to full speed. And I think HR can help the line manager manage the business 
So the person coming back doesn't feel that responsibility, that onus, we need you, because that just leads to all sorts of trouble. Yeah, and almost creative solutions as well, because your other point was is you're expected to go from zero back um, to you know, 100% within a month, which you're, yeah. you know, maybe are the ways that we can bring this person back a couple of days a week or you know, just gradually bring it back in to make it manageable and achievable. Yeah, well, that people are entitled to reasonable adjustments for as long as is reasonable, frankly, for more than four weeks. Four weeks is not reasonable. No, no. three or four, like, even six months. Yeah. Because but, the more you do, the more tired you get because you're doing more. So you almost need a break when you, you add on that next day. I'm really, really tired. OK, now I've got used to working three days a week. We go up to four. That'll be exhausting. It's it's like a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. So... We've talked about, um, you know, so the personal experience of it and how uh, HR and managers can work together and, and there's an individual experience um, about the individual. If we were going to go back a little bit wider, because I know you, you've also done a survey, so you've got some wider stats out there as, as sort of facts and figures, um, which would, might be useful just to share some of those with our audience so we know what's, what the situation is more generally. Yeah, sure. Well, our publicists did um, a survey. I mean, we, we've done them too, but... Uh, publicists did one quite recently, uh, just at the end of um, um, last year, about a thousand workers here in the UK. And that showed that um, despite all the protections we have in the here in the UK to protect people with cancer, 71 um, percent of that population, so that's what 710 people basically, um, uh, said they were fearful of telling uh, anyone that, or their colleagues about their diagnosis. And, and of that 71 percent, almost half feared telling their colleagues because they were worried about losing their job. Um, that's because they didn't know actually they're protected here in the UK by the Equality Act, but that's a hell of a number. Um, nearly half said that they were, uh, 46%, uh, that, that's the number, said they were concerned about the financial impact of having uh, cancer should they take stop sick leave or stop working. Um, and 46% of respondents said that they continued working because they were worried about financial pressures, despite their poor health. Now, the interesting thing is that those are real concerns, clearly, but those people who were actually supported by their organisations in the, you know, in the end, as it were, almost 90% of them said they actually did get a lot of support from their colleagues and from their employer. So that's brilliant, okay? But the issue is, they didn't know the support that their employer provided. They didn't know about it because organisations are not brilliant at talking about the support they provide for people with cancer. They will talk about mental health these days. I'm afraid to say cancer, controversial point, cancer has become a bit unfashionable, okay? Resilience, mindfulness, mental health, they're the things that tick the boxes. Cancer somehow, cancer policies, people don't have them. And I think really good organisations could do so much more to talk about cancer openly and the support they provide their employees, because it's quite clear that people at the moment are really, really scared about not getting the support they need, which is why, you know, those numbers that from the publicist survey emerged. 71% were fearful of telling their colleagues they had cancer. That's a very big number. And this is interesting because actually your point about mental health and also menopause, those are topics now which it's all, you know, they're trying to be destigmatized. But actually the number of people with cancer in the workplace, it's up there 
um, if not higher, um, in yeah. terms of likelihood of it, isn't it? So yeah. that's fascinating. And some of that, I wonder, is it because everyone's a bit scared? But, you know, it is a bit of a, almost a, a, a fearful topic for people generally. Um, I think I did a thing on Instagram about this and so many people replied saying they were forced to retire. They were pushed to retire. They were made to feel they could no longer do their job. And these are women in their 30s and 40s having had cancer. They are scared but they won't be able to work full time and they're not needed part time. So they'll be told to leave. So they don't tell and they carry on and they push and they get sick. They're scared about losing their jobs or being pushed out or not being promoted because you've got cancer. You might die. The other one Liz, um, and there was some legislation, I think, passed in the UK recently about this is the classic one around redundancy. I think a law went through Parliament recently about maternity leavers. Mm be made redundant until sort of 18 months after they've come back. I know of lots of cases of uh, women in particular who come back to work after cancer and their boss says, it's lovely seeing you back. Actually, while you've been away, we've been restructuring and your yes. job no longer exists. Well, I mean, that, uh, you think they'd have a case there, right, in terms of, of that. But cancer patients are going through cancer treatment. They You'd be amazed how many people do not know they have rights, they are legally disabled. They don't have the energy to fight it because they're trying to cope with cancer. Yeah. And they just go for the quiet life. Yeah. And, and, and red redund yeah, absolutely. redundancies can be genuine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, employers, you know, I've worked in HR. <laughs> redundancy, you can make a redundancy look genuine, even when yeah. it's okay. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So it's about advocating then, isn't it? Because actually it could be, it could happen to anybody, anyone yeah. listening to this, you know, you know, it could be touched by by this um, and being, you know, overt and, and making sure that, you know, cancer and to say stroke or other real life, these sort of illnesses should be, um, people should be fully supported in 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 this um, and, and destigmatized. So as you say, rather than it's become a little bit un, unfashionable, you know, trying to help people so much more. Um, in terms of, I guess what good looks like. I think that's probably. Yeah, I, I'm quite sure that the sort of people listening to the HR uprising, they, they've been difficult decisions where they've had to do redundancies. We all feel a bit scared if you might have to deal with with it. But equally, we would want to do the best for somebody and to support people, um, and can see that this is the right thing to do. So, what sort of tips have you got for um, people out there who want to? Yeah, the pledge obviously will I guess we'll put all the links to anything useful. I know there's loads of really useful resources that you guys have got, so I'll put links in our show notes there. But if you've got any examples of what good looks like that people could take away with them, that would be really helpful. Well, good good looks like for a start having a policy that you support people with cancer and and, and working carers. It might be other chronic conditions as well. It doesn't just have to be cancer, but you so so the first thing is an open statement and then and then transparent policies which say you know, these are, these are the benefits, the things that we do to support you if you have cancer, okay? There, um, there are best practice guides that, that we have and other organisations like Macmillan have that ought to be made available to staff. There are training sessions. We provide coaching as well. Uh, peer support groups, um, publicists are setting, setting them up, are really excellent sources of advice and guidance. So it's not difficult, you know, it, it really isn't difficult. And it isn't, you know, the, the return on the investment is, is really, you know, well justified. So it's just a question of being open 
and 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 putting these things in place and letting people know that they're there so that that's what my point so that they know they're protected as soon as they have an issue if there's a policy in small print on the website no one's going to know almost every new employee we have a cancer policy if you're affected or you care for someone and almost every year remind everybody open date letter just to say if you're affected we're here we can help so from a practical point of view um from an HR, so and i don't actually know the answer to this because my i'm more of a learning and development background person i steer clear of policies um but where most businesses would have a policy so and probably now they've got um, they may some of them the bigger ones um and it's interesting because it's interesting to think about what's right for a really small you know where you're an hr department of one whereas you've got like a business of a, a sub 50 and the large organizations but they might have a mental health policy um they would obviously have a sickness policy um you know and a menopause policy so i suppose what i'm saying is this is this a subset of your sickness policy or should you have a mental health and a chronic illness or a cancer you know what would you think the right approach is to make it overt that's a good good question i mean i i don't care what it is as long as it's stated that we support people with you know these conditions and you know you can list mental health you know depression cancer parkinson's ms you know that that these are all you know people these days we're all living with a whole variety of chronic conditions thank god you know we're living with them as opposed to not living with them but i think you know it, it doesn't matter if it's one policies or four policies i mean I think I think very often I think publicists themselves have actually are putting chronic conditions together. You need to name them because many, yeah. many people won't know what chronic means. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think this is rocket science. As long as as long as cancer is covered somewhere, and it's put out there, it's verbalised. It's it's kind of, I'll tell you what actually I was thinking about it. It fits within um, equality, diversity, and inclusion. It's about being inclusive to your workforce basically yeah um, and whatever you know it doesn't have to be about well I suppose it is a protected characteristic if it's a disability but people don't necessarily recognize that but um and I think that's the problem it's hidden disability yeah everybody in the workplace could have cancer and nobody would know and I think it's almost empowering your workforce to say if you have cancer did you know you are legally disabled in the UK and we cannot discriminate against you and we have to make reasonable adjustments yeah and remember it's not just while you're sick it's for the rest of your life if you had cancer when you were five you are still legally disabled for life wow okay just because you finished cancer treatment for two weeks if you have a wobble and it's related to cancer 10 years down the line that is still included that's an interesting one what but what if Sorry, this is a bit of a devil's advocate question. Um, <laughs> if you haven't disclosed that you've got cancer and yeah. the company makes you... They go- can't help you. Right, so you haven't accepted they- unless you've told the company. Yeah, yeah. so you only, you're only required... You're not legally required to disclose your cancer, but there is case law that an empl- employers are supposed to be intelligent and informed about their employees. Therefore, for example, if somebody's been having lots of sickness appointments generally unwell it's it's their duty to understand what's been going on so that if they do have cancer or another chronic illness as it were that they can make the adjustments that are necessary so non-disclosure is not necessarily 
an excuse for ignorance, if yeah. you see what I mean, on the part of the employer. And having processes like return to work interviews in terms of sickness and things like that would help pick those things. At least you're doing what you can to. Exactly. To exactly. I mean, the, the point about the fact that they're legally protected is great, obviously, internet, but I would hope as a caring organisation and looking yes. at well-being values, you would want to say, you know, the law protects you, but the most important thing is we value you and we want to support you. And that that's, you want it almost linked with the values, linked with ED&I, but just getting it out there to try and make it less stigmatised, like in the same way as we've said earlier, things like menopause and uh, mental illness are um, in the workplace becoming less stigmatised. Um. Thank you so much for a, a really powerful uh, podcast episode. Uh, if people want to reach out to either of you as individuals, if you, I'll, I'll give you a moment to maybe just say how they can get hold of you. And equally, if they want to find out more of the resources or find out more, um, we will put links. But if you'd like to just say, Barbara, and then I'll go to you, Liz, into, as to how people could get in touch with you. Okay, well, just go to our website, um, workingwithcancer.co.uk or contact us via Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, so that, that's the best way of getting it. comes here. up on Google, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, Liz, and so my website is liz.oradon.co.uk. Again, you can find links to everything there. And you blog, don't you, as well? So you've got Yes, I had a blog and I put videos on Instagram talking about this kind of thing just to empower the general public so they know what their rights are. Yes. So there's also this bit of working it with it, but also if there's anyone out there listening who is also um, you know, being treated for it, you've got support there, as I've seen as well, from what you, you had in terms of your... Um, content haven't you so yeah yeah really, really powerful um I really appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for joining us today and, and wish you uh, you know lots of success and, and certainly I think this this sort of um you know advocating and getting people to pledge is, is a great idea and we should put it up there on the agenda so I hope that this podcast does a little bit towards that too thank you thank for joining you very much thank you I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable if you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.